And Lord, we, just, we pause right now to reflect on that which was just sung. Lord, the fact that you are exalted over all, the fact that there is nothing we could ever build, that no human hands could ever craft that could contain you, should humble us very quickly and deeply in your presence right now. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the sovereign one, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, who has all honor, all dominion, all authority, and who will not share his glory with another. Father, I pray right now we would not compete with you for your glory. We would not try to put ourselves on the throne of our hearts, the throne that only you deserve. Father, as we come under the authority of your word now, I pray we would not be flippant, that we would be reverent, awestruck, that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, would have so much mercy on us to give us his word that we may live for him and love him not just now but for eternity for all who call on your name Lord right now I pray we would just would you just help us to ditch our pride and instead of saying I don't want to hear or eh, maybe we would say Lord teach me you have a word for me right now change my heart to love you more today may it be so guard my mouth from error God say what you want to say to your people only you are worthy in Jesus awesome powerful and majestic name church if you agree say amen amen you may be seated praise the Lord Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, today is a very special day. I mean, any time we get to be in the house of the Lord together is a great day. Amen. Never just another Sunday. It's a theme for this church, but what makes today uh, extra special in that we kick off, it marks the kicking off of a new ministry year, 2018-2019 ministry year. And as we kick off this ministry year, loved ones, it is absolutely crucial that we ask the question that must set the trajectory for everything else we do, individually in our lives this year and corporately as a church body. This question must set the trajectory of our hearts. And the question is this, who is the one who is the church that God promises to look to? That God promises to protect? That God promises to provide for and to esteem? Who is the one? Who's the individual? Who's the individual? Who is the church that God promises to look to 100% of the time? If I could say that a different way, I would say it this way. What are the foundations that God wants his children to be built upon, that God wants his church to be built upon, that he guarantees, get this loved ones, he guarantees, 
He guarantees to bless with his power, with his presence, with his provision, and with his glory. Every time he sees it in his people and in his church. Who is the one? What are the foundations that God promises to bless 100% of the time? Guaranteed. Nothing changes. This is why the title of this morning's message is, This is the one to whom I will look. This is the one to whom I will look from Isaiah chapter 66, 1 and 2. And this is going to set the trajectory for where we're headed all this year. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, trust me, make sure you have one in front of you today. Our ushers are coming forward right now. Put your hand up. We want to put one in your lap. And if you do not have one at home, then please take that with you and you'll see why in just a little bit in this message so you can continue to study God's word on your own. And loved ones, I have to say nothing less and this is one of the most critical messages that could ever set a ministry year off on the right path. And you say, why is it so important? Why is this so critical that we ask the question, what is it that God promises to bless? Who's the one? Here's why this is so important because there's a problem today. It's rampant and it's increasing. And the problem is this, in in individual lives as Christians and in entire churches, they are trying to build their lives and ministries on foundations that are compromised. They are trying to build on foundations, personal lives, families, churches, on foundations that are compromised and that God has not promised to bless. God is not held to fulfilling anything that he has not promised. Amen? And so we have individual lives, we have entire families, we have entire churches thinking that they can build on foundations that are compromised and that somehow God's going to bless that. And the problem is this, loved ones, they care more about getting the blessing of man than having the blessing of God. I don't know about you, but I want this church to have the blessing of God. And if that means we have the favor of God over the favor of man, I'm okay with that, and I pray that you're okay with that too. Because if you try anything else, it is self-destructive and it will crumble. It will not last. Love to hear the amens on that. And as a result about caring so much about getting the blessing of man and compromising on the foundations God promises to bless, there's an increasing reliance. This this is where it leads. An increasing reliance upon horizontal man-made strategies, methods, practices, and products that look flashy on the outside and quote-unquote relevant to the culture around us, but they do not have God's power or God's presence within them. I wonder, is much of the growth that we see, growth in the church today, what we really think it is? Marketing will only take you so far, loved ones. Is it what it really is? We have to realize, loved ones, That the issue is not primarily, the issue is not ultimately about the method or practice itself. Running programs, doing these things, that's not ultimately the issue. 
The issue has everything to do with the heart that's behind why you're doing that. That is the root. Okay? The issue is primarily about the heart. And what we must understand is that the heart is the most important thing to God. And the heart of a person, the heart of a church, will ultimately determine the one to whom God will look. It will ultimately determine it. The heart is everything to God, loved ones. It's the wellspring of life. It's the source of all we say, think, and do. The root is in the heart. And this hasn't changed. It's not some new strategy God's using here. It hasn't changed. God has always and will always look to the heart. He does it today, and he did it back in Isaiah's day. It's around 7th century BC at this time in this text. And Isaiah is the major prophet of the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. Remember, it was divided, northern kingdom and southern. Judah is the southern kingdom. And the people of Judah are in a spiritual state of desolation. They're in a spiritual state of empty ritualism and idolatry in their worship of God. Things are bad. Not much different than we look at the landscape today. And in response to this, Isaiah sees what's happening. And in chapter 63 and 64, he petitions or he calls on the Lord on behalf of the people to show his mercy to them and to deliver them from the coming judgment that God was sending as a result of the state of their hearts. The coming judgment at the hand of the Babylonians, which ultimately would lead them 100 years later into exile for 70 years. Because of the state of their hearts. And in response to Isaiah's plea. So Isaiah's crying out for mercy. This is God's response. In response to Isaiah's plea, God answers. And he gives them this. And I'm so thankful for our Lord and Savior. He's so merciful. He gives us the blueprint of the heart. The blueprint of the heart of the one that will have his blessing. That the one that will have his favor. And, and here it is, here it is. You can try to justify this in many different ways. Listen, this is the only heart. Everyone say, only heart. This is the only heart of true worship that God will accept, right here. This is it. This is why he makes it so clear. It's the only heart of true worship he will accept. God gives us two essential foundations of the heart that we must embrace, loved ones, if we are to be a church, if we are to be individual men and women of God, if we are to be families of God in this room right now, that God promises to look towards and give his blessing upon. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, loved ones, everything else in this book, everything else in this book comes back to this. This is the fulcrum right here, the turning point. This is about as serious as it gets. In order to honor, honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read our text this morning. Isaiah chapter 66, starting at verse 1, the humble and contrite in spirit. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? 
all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. We see right here in this text, first off, that God will look to the one who recognizes the greatness of him. God will look to the one always who recognizes the greatness of him. Key truth for this section, if I could say it in a sentence, is this. God alone must be elevated and celebrated. God alone must be elevated and celebrated. Look at verses 1 to 2a. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. See, the Lord begins by reminding the people of his, his power. He reminds them, notice he used the term like, thus says. When, when God says, thus says, that's a declaration of authority. Thus says the Lord. Heaven is, look at the terminology he uses, throne. What does that mean? He's the king. He's the king. What he says goes. He's got all authority and greatness in how, notice what he said, all, the earth is my footstool. What's he, all these things my hand has made. All these things can be, what's he talking about? He's reminding them of his greatness. He's reminding them of his awesome power and majesty as he reminds them of how he created the universe and has all authority over it. All these things, my hand, look around you, Israel. Look around you, Harvest Ottawa today. All these things my hand has made. All these things came to be because I spoke. And I sustain it. Now the house, he says, what is the house in verse 1? Earth's my footstool. What is the house you think you would build for me? The house that God is speaking of here is the temple that he instructed King Solomon to build. He gave the blueprints to King David. David passed them on to Solomon, his son. And King Solomon built this temple 300 years earlier. And God said if that temple was built, it would represent his dwelling place with his people. If they, if, 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 they continued to seek him and worship him alone. Now, what does this temple look like? You see two pictures of it. There's one. Look at that. Illustrious. The finest metals, finest cedar, marble, all over it in the world. Do you have another one, team? There it is. There's another view. See the outside courtyard there? The temple going into the Holy of Holies. This is what the temple looked like. This is, these were the exact dimensions that God gave to build that temple that he wanted. But leave that on the screen, loved ones. The people of Israel, here's what happened though. Here's what happened. The people of Israel sinned greatly in thinking that God would be contained in this temple. Well, this is his dwelling place. This, we can build something that can contain God. Really? 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 I don't want to try that. Do you? But their hearts deceived them into thinking 
that he could be contained in the temple they built for him. And they assumed, they came to offer their sacrifices and they just assumed that God's presence would be with them because the temple was there. They just assumed it. We built this temple, it's really big, it followed the blueprint that God said, so we're just gonna assume his presence. Uh Uh-oh, 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 warning, red light, time out, time out. The moment you and I begin to assume we have God's blessing is the moment we begin to lose it. In your marriages, in your personal lives, in this church. They just assumed we got the temple. We're good. And what happens is this. When you start to lose your awe of God, just what happened with Israel here, they let the superficial and flippant practices of outward religion replace the awe of God in their heart. Just going through the motions. I can say the right things. I can raise my hands. I can say the right words. I've got the Torah down pat. I can recite it. Became superficial and flippant practice and it replaced the awe of God in their hearts and the practice notice what happens this is what always happens the practice of self-exaltation taking pride in their accomplishment right here you see on that screen pride in their accomplishments replaced the true worship of God and ultimately led them into idolatry and so here's what God says this is a course correction he says hey hey Israel You got this great temple that I told you to build. But take a look around. Go beyond what you see yourself making and are exalting in right now. Go beyond that. You think think that what you see is great? Really? That's my footstool. And not just your temple. The entire earth is just my footstool. He says, you think think that's great? You're going to worship and self-exalt because of that? I created way more than this. I uphold it all. And none of what you have seen or will see or will discover can contain me. This is not my dwelling place. The entire universe cannot contain me. How could this? Don't box me in. Are we boxing God in today? This is, this is how he works. This is what he looks like. This is, and just minimizing our view of him. Really? It's easy to do. It's easy to do. The entire universe is literally my throne. The entire universe is dwelling my place. So what is this house you think you could build for me to possibly contain me? Harvest Ottawa, loved ones, this is a wake up for us today. What is the house we think we could actually build for the Lord that could contain him? Slick services? Planning center, full service teams, lots of chairs, lots of people. Really, you think that can contain him? He's so much greater than what we think. He's so much greater than what we give him. Heaven is his throne, loved ones. God is not looking for a temple of stone, but he's looking for the temple of the heart. Key point, God is not looking for a temple of stone. No matter what we think we build in our families, no matter what we think we build in his church, he's not looking for a temple of stone. He's looking for the temple of your heart and mine today. Question, is he finding it in you? Is he finding it in me? Or is he faced with self-exaltation in your heart? Pride, 
flippancy in our worship. When we come, we just assume God's here because we have a building. Really? Careful, careful. Careful, loved ones. Look around today. Just look. Look around today. This, nothing's changed. Christians, entire churches, externally practicing worship of God with full motions but empty hearts. Full chairs but empty souls. Compromising to the culture. Exalting self over exalting God. Making themselves great. And pastors are not exempt from this. Why do they do this? Why do we do this? Why can we so easily do this in our homes, in our churches, in our personal lives? Why? Because they've lost the awe at the greatness, power, majesty, and glory of God and have begun exalting themselves and their achievements in his place. In short, they are on the throne of their heart, not the Lord. One writer for Desiring God, John Dodson, said this, Pride diminishes awe and prevents us from seeing God's true greatness all the time. Pride diminishes awe and prevents us from seeing God's true greatness. How can you possibly see the majestic kingdom of the King of Kings when your eyes are focused on your own? This is why, this is why, loved ones. It's so important to remember this. The words that A.W. Tozer said, I was so struck again by this, so blessed but so crushed by this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's why. That's why. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about you and me. Who do you say God is? Who do you say Jesus is? And then Tozer goes on to say this, as if that wasn't heavy enough. Here's why this is so important to to remember that. Because no believer, no individual believer, no church can ever rise higher than their view of God. Ever. Ever. No believer... No family, no marriage, no student, no church can ever rise higher than their view of God. Loved ones, we must never assume, never assume that we're just living with an awe of God. Don't do it. It's a daily fight for the heart. And the moment we assume we have it is the moment we no longer have it. It must be fought for every day in the heart or it will be compromised. And here's why. Here's why our awe of God. Here's why the enemy wants to erect those altars of pride and self-exaltation like he was doing in the people. Look at our accomplishments. We can contain God. We got this God thing licked. External motions, empty hearts. Here's why the enemy works so hard for this. Paul Tripp, if you don't read any of his material, I highly suggest you do. Amazing. Paul Tripp said this, lengthy quote, we're going to go through it slowly, okay? Here it is. Here's why. Forgetting the awesome and glorious one who made it all, 
and holds it all together by the sheer power of his magnificent will, here's what happens. It will always insert me into the center. Here you go. Who's got the throne of your heart today? Who's got the throne of mine? Forgetting the magnificent power and will of God will always insert us into the center of our lives. This means that no story will be important to me than my story. I will ask no bigger question than the questions of how I'm doing. I will have no bigger concern than my satisfaction and comfort. I will ask life to serve me. Is that not the message of our culture today? You deserve, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. I will ask life to serve me, to submit to my interests, and to deliver whatever I demand. Here's another message. Have it your way. Really? Really? This viewpoint will guarantee me a life of huge disappointment. And not only that, it is also an insane way to live. I am not the center of all things. Loved ones, in love I say this. I gotta say this to myself. You are not the center of all things. Neither am I. The world does not revolve around you or me. No matter how much this culture says it should. The world will not do my sovereign bidding. God will not offer his awesome throne to me. Awe of self, worship of self, underlies every form of self-destructive living. God's people said, ouch. Just let that hang there for a minute. Are you putting God in a box? What comes to your mind when you think about God? How about you? What comes into your mind? When you think about God, do you live with a daily, moment-by-moment recognition of his greatness? Just think, when the trial hits, when the disappointment happens, when the discouragement comes, when the anxiety creeps in, when the anger is kindled, are you living with an awareness in that moment of the greatness of the King of Kings. This is where it all starts. This is where worship starts. The temple of my heart. Are you recognizing his greatness or yours? What are you exalting? In your marriage, Exalting yourself, that's not going to go well with your spouse. 
exalting your way of wanting to do things, that's not going to go well for your marriage. How about students in your studies? Are you exalting yourself? The grades you can get, the friends you can have. Or are you exalting the king when you walk into the dorm, into the classroom? Are you recognizing God's greatness in that moment? How about this in your job? Who are you exalting in your job? Why do people overwork? They exalt their own abilities. Who are you exalting in your family that you're leading your kids to each day? Yourself, your way of doing things, or the Lord? In your relationships, in the trial, in the success. How about this? How about this? In your worship on Sunday mornings. Are we worshiping him with an exaltation from the heart or just with our hands? This is why I encourage you to come early to church. Hey, we have great stuff at the start of the service, praise the Lord. But it allows you to come and sit and prepare your heart to really worship the King of Kings because he's great. Where do you need to realign your heart to his and get your awe back of him? And you say, well, how do I do that? Let's just drill down. Hey, hey, can you do me a favor, loved ones? We love God's word, right? We want to see lifted up. Just lift up God's word for a moment. Yes, love seeing these Bibles all over this place. Love it. Here it is. How do you get your awe back? This is where it starts. This is where it starts, amen? We can't keep our eyes and hearts focused on the world and expect to grow in an awe of God, amen? Bible's down. Great stuff. And you say, well, wait a sec. Where, how, do I, how do I do that? You meditate on the word. Here's a great place to start. Job 38 and 39. When God talks about his creating the universe. And we're not going to go through those. But I will tell you, you spend four days this week, four or five days of your quiet time this week, just verse by verse going through there and see if you can still be on the throne of your heart. When he talks about how he created the sea and says, ocean, you're going to go this far and no more. When he spoke and the mountains were created. When it says he laid the foundation of the earth. When it says he commands the Leviathan, the sea creatures, when he commands them with a word, it says when he tells the thunder, now. When he throws down the lightning, when he throws down the hail and the snow that it says he's reserved for days of war. You tell me if you can stay on the throne of your heart at that moment. This is what God's calling back the Israelites to. And this is what he's calling it back to now for us today. Getting back to the heart. The heart that sees his awesome greatness and power and says, you must increase, I must decrease. Big time. You must increase. I must decrease. And then, you know, I was on a prayer walk last night take a prayer walk over our Sunday services, Saturday nights. I go on this prayer walk and I go near sunset and I round this corner of our neighborhood and there is the sun just like, bam! And then all I'm struck with is, God, you are powering the sun right now. 
And then 1 Timothy 6, 16 comes into mind where it says, this God dwells in unapproachable light because of his holiness, because of his majesty, because of his power, that if you and I were to even get a glimpse of him in that state, in the state we are in right now, we'd be incinerated because of our sin. He dwells in unapproachable light. So there, I keep walking, I keep walking. And then I see these huge clouds. And then I'm reminded of the book of Nahum, minor prophet in the Old Testament. Highly recommend you spend some time there. Book of Nahum says this, the clouds are the dust of his feet. Awesome! Creation was created to reveal the glory of God. Creation should give us a sense of awe. And then I keep walking, and I keep walking. And it gets dark, and then the stars come out. Most of them, completely bigger than the sun, which is way bigger than our planet. And then Isaiah 40, 26 comes to mind. Or it says he calls every single one of those stars out by name and holds them in place so that none is missing. Who's on the throne of your heart right now? Who are you or what are you exalting? And I'm walking down the street and I see, you know what I see? It just broke my heart. I'm here having this like crazy time of worship. Amazing. And I look and every single house I passed had the TV on just doing this. And I'm like, I got nothing against TV, per se. <laughs> but just step outside and get your awe back. Step outside. You can't tell me when you look at Niagara Falls that there's not a God. And that he's awesome and that he's powerful. Just take a look outside. Get your awe back. Meditation of his word. Because here's the reality, self-glory can only be defeated by the recognition of a greater glory. That's the reality, loved ones. Self-exaltation can only be defeated by the exaltation of one who is greater than us. Or it will be all about us until the end of our days. Because we'll be at the center. Self-glory can only be defeated by recognition of a greater glory. Because why? Because we start to see ourselves in light of who God is. He is great, I am not. Step outside and get your awe back. And then pray and ask him. Ask him for this. We can't manufacture, like I'm going to be in awe of God today. We can't do that. Because our heart is divided. It is desperately sick. And so we need to ask him for that. We pray and ask him, say, Lord, give me a greater awe of you today. The fear of the Lord will defeat the fear of man. The fear of the Lord will defeat the fear of failure. The fear of every single time. Realize that situation at work that I'm going into, go and take a walk and look up. And you realize who's sovereign over that situation. Who's really got the authority in that situation. Don't lose the eye. This is why the devil works so hard to get our eyes right here or here. Don't do it. Church, we cannot afford to do this. And by God's grace, we committed, us as elders, we have just committed ourselves 
re-up this as we see the culture around us deteriorating. God will look to the one who recognizes the greatness of him and when we see God for who he truly is, we are then able to respond with a heart of worship to him. A heart of worship to him. Look at verse 2b. A right recognition of God leads to the true worship of him. Always. That's the say it in a sentence moment for this point. Right recognition of God leads to true worship of him. But this is the one, last half of part two, to whom I will look. Love that promise. Circle that. It's a huge promise. I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, after combating the pride in the people's hearts, God then gives the people a promise. Notice, I will. Make sure you circle it, loved ones. I will. He gives them the promise of who he will look to every time if they would abandon their prideful, superficial practices that assumed his presence and turn to him in worship with their whole heart. Here's the promise. Now, now the word look there, just so we're on the same page, the word look that you see in the first part of that verse means this, the Hebrew means this, to look upon, to take pleasure in, to give my favor towards, and to esteem. That's a pretty good deal, don't you think? So let's reinsert that meaning back in and say this. This is the one to whom will have my pleasure. This is the one to whom I will give my favor This is the one to whom I will esteem. This is the church that I will esteem. This is the family I will esteem. This is the one. Okay, full stop. Before we move any further, we always want to get to the what. Just think about the magnitude of this statement right here. This is the one. No matter what changes, this is the one that I will look to. God, we break this down into today's language. God is literally saying this. I promise you that without fail, in every situation, whether in a trial, whether in a success, and no matter what changes happen in the culture or what quote-unquote new teachings come out that claim strategies people must do to have my blessing, that didn't work. He says, I am promising you that 100% of the time, guaranteed, 100% of the time, I will look to give favor upon and esteem the person or the church or the family that displays these characteristics in their worship of me. Every time I will give my favor, you will have my pleasure, you will have my blessing every time, guaranteed. I want that. Do you? I need that. Do you? He goes on. You never have to guess what I desire in you. What does God want of me in this situation? What does God want? He's about to tell us. If you want his blessing in this situation, you never have to guess. He's such a merciful God. He gave us a clear blueprint for it. You never have to guess what I desire of you in a situation. Your circumstance will change. Culture will change. But my promise never will. I will always look to the one whose heart displays these characteristics. Loved ones, loved ones, hear this today and be encouraged. There is not one situation that you're going through right now. Not one. There is not one situation you have gone through. There isn't a situation that you will go through that you don't even know about right now. 
There is not one that you will ever encounter where this promise will not prove true. Not one. Let's take it to the bank and deposit this in our hearts. Big time. The question is, the question is, not will God fulfill his promise? That's not the question. Will God fulfill his promise? No, that's a done deal. The real question is this. Am I willing to go back to the heart of worship that he promises to bless in every situation? Am I willing to go back there? Not will he fulfill it, but am I willing to go back to the heart of worship that he promises to bless and look to? That's the question every single time. And it should be no surprise to us that God goes straight back to the heart. Why does he do this? You see it on the screen. Write this down. God desires the temple of our hearts much more than the temple we build with our hands. You think, well, I'm going to work really hard for God. And I'm going to do all this for God. Does God have your heart? Question, does God have your heart? He's not interested in the temple you want to build for him if the temple of the heart is absent. Because anything that's going to last that we do with our hands has to come from the eternal power that resides in our heart. God desires the temple of our hearts much more than the temple we build with our hands. This is where true worship starts. Worship is not just, we have to understand, loved ones, here's the theology of worship. Worship does not just happen on Sunday mornings, okay? Worship, hey moms, worship is when you're changing your kid's diaper. What? Messy worship, but worship. Okay? Worship happens, students, when you're in the exam period. Worship happens when you're doing that assignment. That's just grilling you. Worship happens when you're hanging with your friends. Worship happens, spouses, in your marriage. When you go to your jobs. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. When you serve in the church, that is worship. It's not like, okay, I'll work and then worship is separate. Uh Uh-uh. You can't disconnect the two. That's what he's talking about with worship. And the first characteristic, you know I need to pay attention to this real bad. The first characteristic that the Lord promises to to esteem in the heart of a person is this. A heart of humility, not pride. A heart of humility, not pride. Look at verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble. Of course he starts out with humility. Of course. Humility. What does that mean? Humble. Poor in spirit. Lowly. That's what the Hebrew means. One who is in a place of recognition of their spiritual bankruptcy and lives with the awareness that they cannot do any spiritual good or have any spiritual merit before God. You and I can do nothing for God to be able to say, well, I'm glad I got you on my team. Really? Come on. Let's be honest. You and I always believe that from time to time. Right? There's nothing we can do of any spiritual significance to make us right with God. And if you're here today and you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can keep going on, sinning away the day of opportunity that's in front of you right now. You can keep striving on your own power to say, if I'm just a good enough person, I'll get to God. Uh-uh. Humility, the first step to God looking upon you and blessing that and giving his favor toward you is for you to say, God, I have nothing without you. I can do nothing without you. 
I am a sinner in need of a savior. And you can go on, if you're here today and that's you, you can go on and sin away the day of opportunity that God's put in front of you right now. But at the end of the day, that is gonna keep haunting you until you get to eternity. And at that moment, you and I stand before Jesus Christ face to face. It will be too late. I can do nothing. Their awareness, they cannot do any spiritual good, any spiritual merit before God. And instead, they walk in pride of self-reliance or self-confidence. They recognize they need God's help and they submit to his will. There it is. There's the humble heart. One that recognizes they need God's help and they submit to his will. You are greater, I am not. Submitting to his will. It's saying literally this. He must increase today. He must increase in my marriage. He must increase in my purity. He must increase in my classroom. I must decrease. It's saying God before me, others before me. His agenda, not mine. His ways, not my ways. Thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. There's a heart of humility that recognizes it's desperately sick and spiritually bankrupt. James 4, 6. Isn't it amazing? God's kingdom is totally radical. Is that the message of the world today? Think about this. Really? You before me, God before me. No, it's like put yourself at the top. Put yourself. God's kingdom is 180 degrees radical. 180. The way up in God's kingdom is down. It just... Every time, the way up is down. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He won't look to the proud. He will not look to you in your pride. You cannot expect to have his favor. I love how J.C. Ryle puts this. You'll see it on the screen. He says this, humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. We must begin low if we want to see him high. Every time. What does God promise to bless in your situation right now? Humility. Get there fast. Ask the Lord, Lord, bring me to that place of humility. Get me there quick. I need to do that all the time. Because I just want to exalt myself. So question, are you walking in increasing humility before the Lord? Are you increasing humility? You never hit your humility ceiling. Right? Where do you need to repent of your pride and lower yourself before him saying, God, you must increase, I must decrease. Where is that for you? Finances, your agenda, your desires, your will, your wants, your way, your timing. Okay. First characteristic the Lord promises to esteem in the heart is this, humility. Secondly is this, a heart of brokenness, not self-sufficiency. A heart of brokenness, not self-sufficiency. Look at this. This is the one to whom I will look. He who's humble and contrite in spirit. The word for spirit there is heart. It goes back to the heart. Always. Brokenness, not self-sufficient. What does contrite mean? Contrite is this. Crippled. You know what, you know what this word means in the Hebrew? Crippled of foot or lame. It means you can't even get up on your own. Crippled in foot. That's what contrite means. You cannot serve yourself. You are completely dependent on the Lord's help. This is when you know you need 
the help of God and are desperate for help, not from greater effort that you put in or more help from uh, primarily human hands, but help from the Lord. John 15, 5, Jesus Christ says, apart from me, loved one, stop right. you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Contrite heart says, crippled in foot says, I, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And my life is going to reflect that need for you. I'm not going to claim it and then go on doing my own thing. Must understand this. No matter what this culture says, here's the reality of what we see in God's word. Neediness is such a beautiful thing in the kingdom of heaven. Neediness Write that down. You're going to have to go back to that all week. Neediness is such a beautiful thing in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it recognizes our insufficiency and drives us away from our own strength and into the Lord's. So critical question. And this, this is it. This is where the rubber meets the road in this question right here. Ready? Here it is. The turning point for the Christian life. Are you willing to ask God to break you of yourself? That's, where, that's a turning point right there. Are you willing to ask God to destroy your castles of glory so that you can get your heart and eyes on his? Are you? Careful. Careful. He will break it. Because we need to be. It's an act of love. Are you willing to ask him to break you of yourself, to be more dependent on him and desperate for him. And I'm just going to say, as I was thinking about this week and just having some conversations with some other pastors, and it's true. This is where 99% of people who claim to follow Jesus Christ stop. They will not ask him to break them of themselves because it hurts but it's a great breaking. Why? Why? Because the times when we are most broken, Pastor Robbie told me this once, I've never forgot that, the times when we are most broken are the times we receive God's greatest blessing. There it is. The times when we are most broken are the times we receive God's greatest blessing. Question, do you want to pray that? Lord, I pray for brokenness. How often do you hear that in, in prayer? I pray you would break me of myself, my own desires, my way, my wants. See, we have to understand as a church, loved ones, God's not looking for help. He's looking for those who call for help. God is not looking for help. God is quite sufficient. He's sovereign over all things. He's not looking for those to help. He's looking for those who call for help from a place of humility, from a place of brokenness. It's a critical question. That's, that's the breaking point, right? Literally, the breaking point right there. <laughs> cool how that worked, right? It's the breaking point. Continue to move forward and see the favor of God. Stay put. Lastly is this. First characteristic the Lord promised to esteem is a heart of humility, not pride. A heart of brokenness, not self-sufficiency. And lastly, a heart of reverence, not flippancy. A heart of reverence, not flippancy. Look at the last part of verse, the last half of verse two. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. 
The word trembles there means this in the Hebrew. Trembling from a deepening honor, awe, there it is again, reverence, an increasing love for God's word, and an increasing desire to obey it. This isn't legalism. This is the path to life. This is the one, this is the person, this is the heart, this is the church that fears the Lord and is so convicted of the truth of his word that it is upheld as the final authority over one's life. God is, you see this on the screen, God is looking to dwell in the heart of the one who takes his word seriously and not flippantly. How do you know if you're taking, okay, some signs we're taking God's word flippantly. Okay, a couple things that just came to mind. I'll get in God's word when I have time. Ouch. Really? Really? How about this? I'm going to make time to be in God's word today. The heart of flippancy says, when I have time, I'll get around to it. When I'm not so busy. When the kids don't get up so early. I'll, I'll, I'll obey God's word and take it seriously when it, when it agrees with what I, want it, when I would, what I want to do. When it's not a hard word who can hear it moment. When it doesn't call me out of my sexual sin. I'll put that aside and then, and then later on I'll, I'll just follow it when it agrees with me and what I want to do. Really? Flippancy. That's a heart of flippancy. God, you will not have God's blessing. You will not. He can't bless that. He's looking for a heart of reverence. I'll do it when it's convenient. What's your next step, loved ones? Look at, what, look at the words of Jesus Christ. He said this, John 14, 23 says, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep. What does the word keep there mean? Obey with all seriousness. He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. What does come to him mean? I will look upon him. God's blessing is always on the heart that delights in his word. So what is your next step to growing in this, loved ones? Maybe for some of us here, it's to repent for the sin of flippancy in our lives when it comes to reverence for God's word and his authority. Maybe for some, it's take the steps to get in it each day. You're like, I don't know how to get in God's word. Hey, hey, guess what? So remember the last time, a few weeks ago, when I announced we had these God Time 101 books? Guess what? All of them went that Sunday. We ran out. So guess what? We did. We printed 100 more. There's 100 more books back there. Take them all. Take them all. This gets you started. Praying, journaling, Getting it, it's just basic understanding. What's your first step to getting in God's word and growing in a heart of reverence for it? Take them. Take them. Don't let your pride stop you. Because if we're taking God's word seriously, if we're trembling at it, we will see our desperate need to cling to it each day. And true worship of God is always fueled by the word of God. And you may say, well, these things are impossible. We're gonna land this plane right now with this moment right here. These things are impossible. Humility? How can I walk in humility? How can I get over myself? Brokenness? Desperation? Crippled? and A fear of the Lord? 
These are impossible to do. And you know what? Hey, loved ones, take great courage. Ready? Eyes up here. You are right. Those are impossible to do. For me, for you. If you try to do them on your own strength. If you try to do them in your own abilities. Remember, see this on the screen. This underlines everything we do right here. This is a gospel truth we need to saturate our mind with. God will not ask from us, put it on their team, God will not ask from us what he's not first willing to do in us. This is the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will not ask us to be humble if he's not going to give us the power to do it. God will not ask us to be contrite. He will not ask us to be reverent if he's not willing to give us the power to do it. And that is why God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ. That is why God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ to earth, fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ, who never ceased to recognize his father's greatness. How many times did Jesus say, I must be about my father's business? How many times? He never ceased to recognize that. He responded with a perfect heart of worship to him, with humility, dependence, and reverence. Don't think Jesus was dependent on God? Why do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He was fully man too. And Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin, so that by repenting of our sin, confessing him as our Lord and Savior, through him we are given the faith, power, and strength to seek this way and receive his blessing. Hey, hey, bottom line truth for today. Jesus Christ is the only way for God to look to us. I will look to the one who has confessed my son. And is begging me for these things. And maybe you're here and you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior. And that is the first act of humility you need to take today. To humble yourself. Recognizing your bankruptcy before the Lord. And saying, Jesus Christ, I repent of my sin and confess you as my Lord and Savior. Now you're on the path to the one God will bless and look to. Path is clear. Promise is sure. And as leaders, we have committed to do this by his grace, in his power, in his strength, to seek him with all we have this year. Question, loved ones, will you join us? Will you join us? Will you join us? It's time to get back to the heart. Can't wait to see what's in store. Let's pray. Father, today you have given us a heart surgery. Even as I preach this text just more waves of sweet conviction Lord forgive us when we exalt ourselves and fail to recognize your greatness forgive us when we lose our awe forgive us when we're superficial forgive us when we're flippant in our faith and do not tremble at your word make excuses as to why we don't follow it. Forgive us when we walk in pride. Oh Lord, today, right now, in this sacred moment right here, I pray there would just be a release. Your Holy Spirit would be so much at work. And as those areas of our lives that we need to get right with you are illuminated, we just, without hesitation, without delay, say, here I am, Lord, you must increase, I must decrease. Father, would you do this? You are our God. You are our King. You will not share your glory with another, but your grace and your mercy, so sufficient for us, through your son, Jesus Christ, you've made a way. Would you look upon this church, Father, right now? In Jesus' name.